McMaster has over 210,000 alumni living in 140 countries around the world. Unconventional will introduce you to some of our alumni who are working to make our world a brighter place in their own unique way. Join me, Karen McQuig, Alumni Director at MAC, as we learn the moments that their path from MAC became unconventional. Welcome to the latest edition of Unconventional. Today, we have the honor of speaking with Parm Chohan, a visionary behind Conquer Leadership. Parm's journey is both inspiring and unique, encompassing his experiences from pursuing a master's degree at McMaster to navigating life's unexpected challenges. Let's dive into Parm's remarkable story and learn more about his path to success. During his time at McMaster, Parm embarked on a journey of growth and self-discovery. While pursuing his master's degree in communications, he faced a whirlwind of life events that tested his resilience and determination. Not only was Parm becoming a newlywed, but he also encountered the challenging setback of a layoff, a situation that could be disheartening for anyone. However, Parm's tenacity and spirit shone through as he faced this adversity head on, refusing to let it define his trajectory. The culmination of Parm's experiences and his innate leadership qualities led him to establish Conquer Leadership. Through this platform, Parm coaches and guides participants to embrace leadership skills that empower them to succeed in their personal and professional lives. Stay tuned as we uncover more of Parm's incredible journey and dive deeper into the insights and lessons he has to offer. It's a privilege to have Parm with us today, and we're excited to learn from his unique experiences and perspectives. So I'm going to start off our podcast, our time together today, to talk a little bit about um, how you ended up at McMaster. So you did your Master of Communications, and you graduated in 2017. But I think, based on my research before, you had a little bit of an interesting journey to making that decision to come to McMaster and then your experience as a master's student. So do you want to touch on the, your story, and uh, we can begin our conversation there? For sure, for sure. So uh, I, I, did my, I did my undergrad at York University, uh, started off doing computer science, didn't enjoy it. Not a single bit. Those that are skilled in comp side, my hat's off to you, but uh, I didn't enjoy it. It wasn't for me. So I ended up switching majors about a year and a half in. And to be honest, I, I wasn't digging my first year at York. And it wasn't because of York. I just, I didn't know anybody, right? Coming out of high school, all your friends go somewhere else. So I wasn't enjoying it. In fact, I was on the phone with my with my mom at least once a week telling her that I wanted to drop out. I just I wasn't enjoying it. Uh, luckily, I didn't. Uh, so a year and a half goes by. Wasn't doing too well in my comp sci classes because I just I couldn't relate to the content. So ended up switching over to business. Did an HR certificate. Figured okay, that's probably a safe bet. Still no clue what the heck I wanted to do. Um, got out of university. And, and some of the roles that I fell into afterwards, there were traces of public relations and communications work. And I, and I still didn't know what that, what that field was. So did some research, realized that PR and comms is a thing. And some of what I'm doing is related to, 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 re, related to that work. And I'm also fairly good at it. Uh, so then made the decision that I, I needed to get a bit more training in the world of PR communications and came across Humber College's program. They've got a postgraduate certificate program, a one-year program, fantastic program. It's and a great program. Really, Humber does a good yeah. job. They have the great one-year programs. Yeah. 
And that really taught me the nuts and bolts, right? How to write, what a press release is, um, why it's important to, to, to do some media monitoring and, and how to categorize some of the stories that, that you might be covered in. Um, so did that. And then once that was done, fell into some roles that were related to PR and comms, but I was still on the outskirts. I wasn't, I wasn't in the work. And that really bugged me. So kept trying to find my way and, and I bumped around a few different jobs. Uh, and then in 2014, my wife and I got married, but soon after that, I got laid off. Mm. I was part of a reorg. And I didn't quite make the cut. So that happened. And at that point, I had always wanted to do some kind of a master's program. And prior to that, I had written my GMAT. The idea was to do my MBA. Wasn't a big fan of the GMAT, sorry. And I flunked the GMAT. So I figured, okay, that's not for me. Uh, came across the, the MCM program at McMaster. First thing I realized is there's no GMAT. Thank God. <laughs> uh, but that doesn't mean that it was super easy to get in. I still had to do a lot of work. The application process was rigorous. Uh, I had to submit all my paperwork, do the interview process. And I was lucky enough to get in. Um, and that MCM program was really foundational to what then happened years after. Because uh, through that program, I was able to mature professionally, I got to speak, I got to learn how to speak more intelligently about the work we do in public relations and communications. Uh, through that, then I ended up working for Region Appeal. And then soon after that, Town of Caledon as one of their communications advisors. So that was a pivotal, that was a pivotal point. So can we go back to when you were in your first year? So even though you're at a different university, you had picked an, an excellent program and, and, you know, so why did you choose that program? And then why did you think when you got there, you just realized, oh, this is not for me? Yeah, uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't have a plan going to York. I wasn't quite sure. So to be honest with you, there was no master design. Okay. It was, okay, well, tech is still going to be in fashion four years later. So what's the likelihood of me getting a job or finding a career in, in the world of computer science? Probably high, probably high. So that was one of the biggest deciding factors. I'm not saying that's a good thing or a bad thing. It was just a thing. So, but I also didn't have any, I didn't have any bearings or any, any hard evidence on how to make a decision like this, because how do you decide what you're going to do for the rest of your life? I think that's probably a challenge that most young people, unless you've got like your laser focused, you know, you've always wanted to be a nurse or, you know, you've always wanted to be an engineer um, that when you go to university, you're making those decisions when you're, you're just starting to figure out yourself. And it's like, okay, what do you think you're going to do? So sometimes it's a leap of faith to take a program, but I think I, it, the bigger leap of faith is to trust into your, for lack of a better word, your gut to know that once you're in it, like, oh, I don't know if this is the right thing for me. So did you feel that you had the confidence to make that decision? Or was it hard for you to come to that conclusion that, oh, maybe I do need to make a change? It was a process. It didn't quite happen just like that. So it was, it was a bit of a process. Um, I'm not the type of person to just quickly give up on something. 
there, there's a bit of pride in in the work that I'm performing and the quality of work. So, but I, but as soon as that seed was planted, it was resonating and, and started to ring louder and louder just because I, I wasn't connecting with the work. I didn't quite get what was going on in class, which means I wasn't good yep. at some of the stuff that was going on. And it was just way up here. So I, I had to make a decision fairly quickly as well. It's not like I could have invested another two or three years just to see because time is of the essence and, and so is financial investment. So it was around that year, year and a half mark that I figured, okay, I need to do something because this isn't quite my thing. And then I realized and I thought, okay, well, business is always, is always good. HR is always going to be a thing. There's always going to be yeah. people and, and people in jobs and in work and in careers. So maybe something in that field. And it's, it's funny. I, I think back now, it's funny that that change happened because the work that I'm doing right now in leader development, coaching, training, development is, is all people services, HR. So it's, you know, sometimes things have a very interesting way of coming back full circle. That was, again, not by design, but just happenstance and how things worked out. Well, it's interesting. So I'm, you know, I look at myself, I'm a history um, graduate of McMaster and I'm the alumni director. So there's not a direct line to that. Like people do not graduate from university and say, I'm going to be the alumni director. So for you and coming out, you know, you did your, you know, you had your change and you did your HR. And then, you know, when you were telling your earlier story, it, it seemed to me like you, you really had this kind of like, I really like this communication stuff. I really kind of like this public relations part. And was it something that, you know, you kind of knew a little bit in the back of your mind, or was it just kind of like, actually, you can have a career in this and having that moment of realization that there's not just 10 careers coming out of university, but there's a whole wealth of things you can do. Yeah, as, as I as I got to learn more about the world of PR and comms, I realized that that really means being part of the voice of the organization, which allows us to influence all in a positive ethical way. And that got me, that got me to be behind the scenes, to see what's going on behind the curtain, but to, to, to be in a place of influence in terms of the profession. And, and knowing that there was a heavy amount of writing involved and I was, I was good at writing. I was skilled and I, I still am. I still, I still write. And that comes in different shapes and forms now. So I knew I had some of the nuts and bolts. I just needed to refine those skills and, and get some formal education. Uh, but I knew there was something there as I started to learn more about the world of PR and comps. And, and Humber helped lay that foundation because once I there, it was like, okay, this I get this. This is my thing. I, I understand this, that, the other. Still needed a ton of experience and needed to do a lot of work, but it was it was sinking in. Right, it wasn't as foreign as let's say computer science. So I knew, okay, something is happening here. This is the area that I want to play in, get skilled in, build some competence, confidence, and leadership. Um, so stuck with that, and then that led to the to the MCM program. So I imagine, I mean, no one likes to lose their job. No one likes to be reorged out. Um, you know, we've been through the pandemic where unfortunately at the beginning of the pandemic, a lot of people lost their roles um, as everything sort of shut down and the world changed a bit. But how did you, so think back to that time and, and how did you 
cope with it or, you know, rationalize it and, and not beat yourself up. Right. So those decisions sometimes happen in your and you're a number or a name on a piece of paper. And, you know, it has nothing to do with your own worth or how good you are. So how did you how did you cope with that? How did you handle that? I'm not going to. It was hard. Yeah, it was hard. And for a few weeks, I felt very deflated, lost, insecure, unsure about what was going to happen next. Um. So it, it took some time to think about what the next move was going to be. And I was lucky to have a very supportive family. Uh, that helped, and that was very encouraging. Uh, I had some time to think, and like I said, I, I had done the GMAT previously, so that seed and, and bug was always there. Fortunately, I was able to secure a part-time role with a nonprofit who I had worked for many, many years ago, so I had a little bit of stability in my life and then a little bit of income coming in uh, and then was able to secure another part-time job within within regional government. So, And then around the same time, the MCM program happened. So while there was a bit of time of, okay, what the heck am I going to do, man? Yeah. Like, come on. It also, things were starting to happen fairly quickly within a short period of time once I got past that. So now that I think back, it's wait a minute. Okay. Stuff was stuff was happening and stuff was in play. I just needed to get through that slump that was happening. So so while I was down, definitely not out, fairly quickly other things started to move forward, which was which was very interesting. Uh, so then I got to a point where I was juggling two part-time jobs, the MCM program schedule. Uh, you know, within all of that masters, there were three family weddings. And I don't know if you know anything about Indian weddings, but even the smallest of weddings ain't small. They're large so, from my understanding. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so three very close family weddings, um, all within the span of those two years. So it was a very, very busy time. Uh, but really that, that layoff almost sparked things and pushed me further in that direction where where I wanted to go so you know sometimes you think back maybe it was a blessing in disguise uh I can see that sure wasn't fun while I was going through it uh, but I can see I can look back now and say okay I see how the dots were starting to connect so making a decision to go back to school um after you've been out for a while is, is, is a little bit of a leap of faith. It's a bit of risk, right, to do that. So yeah. can you talk to me a little bit about your comfort level and risk? So you seem to, making that decision, a little risky maybe, or maybe it wasn't, um, but then coming out of the program into what you're doing now. So we'll kind of segue into that, but, you know, taking risks to start your own business and different things. So what's your comfort level on risk? Uh, as long as it's somewhat calculated. Okay. There's, there's going to be some strategy and, and thinking behind it. Um, just jumping into something I have a challenge with. Like I, I, I can't just completely switch directions. There's going to be a reason for it. I've got to, I, I need some time to just think through process, weigh out some of the pros and cons. What if, what if that, what if this? And then once I've been able to think through and perhaps chat it out and talk it out with, with others, my family, friends, mentors, or coaches. And then once a decision's been made up here, then it's about execution. And that's where I thrive. 
right? Being able to execute, go implement, operationalize. So once the decision has been made up here and even in here, then it's like, okay, the hard stuff is done. Now it's just, now we just go. So it, it was a bit of a process. And, and again, a journey to get to that point because uh, going back to school, uh, the, the time investment, <laughs> the cost investment, all of that needs to be factored in. Um, the scheduling, taking time away from family, all of that needs to be thought of. Uh, so I was I was fortunate enough to have a supportive family that stood by me through through those two years. And when I said, "Hey, folks, I need to I need to spend some time studying," my wife was very supportive. The rest of the family was very supportive. So that was taken care of, and it was just me making sure that that I needed to focus and and not let anything else get in the way. So we know that you were not an undergraduate student who had a master plan, but did you have a master plan? when you were graduating from your master's program? <laughs> the, the plan at that point was still to move forward in the world of public relations communications and to excel, excel move forward, uh, get into more positions of influence and leadership. Uh, and I was fortunate enough to secure a role with town of Caledon, which is, which is municipal government. So I worked municipal government for about five, six years as one of their communications advisors. Uh, it was a small team, which really helped me, you know, flex, grow, flex those, those PR and comms muscles, grow and do a whole stack load of very interesting and creative work and, and work on projects. Um, that was there for about five years. And then, and then leader development, training development, coaching that world started to open up so again coming out of, of the master's program it was hey comms pr that's it until this other thing came up and it's like wait a minute that's this is very familiar work as well so i had an interesting decision to make uh, because it meant partly leaving behind the world of PR and communications that I had been so familiar and entrenched in for 10 plus years, had spent a ton of time and financial investment getting to where I was to say, okay, we're going to change direction a little bit now. It doesn't mean that I was starting right from the beginning, but it mean it did mean a direction change. Uh, so that took, again, some thinking, some rationalizing, pros and cons, weighing out the different priorities, so that took some time to make that decision. And once you made the decision, why don't you tell us what, what you're doing, what it was? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So, so what I do now is I have consulting practice called Conquer Leadership, where um, I'm working with aspiring established leaders to really operationalize peak performance through leadership development, team building, and coaching. Um, when, when that's fully embraced and when there's buy-in that changes behavior, increases collaboration, improves engagement, breaks, builds stronger culture, which ultimately increases productivity, all in the right way. I also work with Trillium Health Partners as a learning and organizational development consultant. So that's leader development, facilitation, coaching. So these days, my whole life seems to revolve around uh, leader development, coaching, speaking, facilitation, but it's it's great. It fires me up. This is my jam. 
ultimately, ultimately, Karen, the work I'm privileged to do is changing the trajectory of careers and lives. And I'm seeing that firsthand with, with those that I'm, I'm in conversation with, with those that I'm working in, in, with, with those that I'm serving. So it's, it's really a privilege and a pleasure to do what I do now. So I think when people hear coach, they naturally think of sporting coach, football, mm -hmm. soccer, baseball. Why does someone in the work world need a coach? Like, why should someone consider having a coach? And what, what can it do to help them in their, their career progression? Yeah. So I'm a product of coaching. I wouldn't be doing what I was doing right now, what I'm currently doing right now, if I didn't have a coach to push, to challenge, to hold me accountable but to also walk with me side by side. So I often say, I often say that coaching is rooted in self-leadership, where it's all about uncovering and discovering that next best version of you. Uh, as a coach, the, the folks that I work with, I'm there as a talking partner, a thinking partner, an accountability partner, uh, really a trusted advisor to these leaders that, that I'm privileged to work with. Because quite often when you're in a, in a title of leadership, it can often feel lonely. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean you're always alone, but it can feel lonely, which is where I come in to create a safe space to have those very real conversations. And coaching is, is, the, is the process of sometimes holding up a mirror to say, okay, this is how you're showing up. Are you okay with that? If not, let's do some work. Now, within leadership development and leadership coaching, um, what, what I'm able to do is really focus on leader competencies. So it's like, it's like visiting a, or, or going to see a surgeon where we're just focused on leadership development and how do we, how do we further develop your leadership presence? And there's many ways that that can be done, many ways that I do that. Uh, but as a coach, I'm there with you side by side. I don't ever claim to have all the answers. No one person does, but what I can do is create a safe space for us to ideate, for us to think, and, and for me to offer some suggestions or ideas for you to say, yes, no, maybe so. As trust builds, I then get to know, okay, when do I need to pump the brakes with this person? What are some triggers and trauma that I need to be aware of? Or where do I need to push the pedal down and say, okay, Karen, you're telling me you're going to do X by the next time we meet, but I know you, you're capable of 5X. So what's going on? Let's unpack that because I fundamentally believe we're all so much more capable and powerful than we ever know. It's just sometimes being aware of what that potential could be and stepping into that. And, and once that awareness and alignment is there, man, then you're on fire. And I'm seeing that. I'm seeing that with the leaders that I serve right now. So um, that's what that's what coaching is in a nutshell. Well, I mean, you know, I'm I'm all in now listening to this, but I think one of the <laughs> things that's a real, I think that people don't do enough of. And one thing I really liked when you were talking about that was like a thinking partner. I don't think leaders, we give our, us, ourselves enough time to think and to think with someone just to say like, this is kind of what I'm thinking and, and to do that and, and uh, with no judgment and stuff, and you have to find the safe place. But I think we don't give, give ourselves enough time to think. And I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm off, but what, what do you think of that? Like, do we, do we actually do that enough? Uh, I'd, I'd agree with you hundred percent. When, when do you often have time to, 
sit and actually strategize and think through and problem solve because we're so conditioned to go, go, go that the pace of business and work is, is go, go, go. And it's, and, and that's across the board. It's not anyone's fault. It's just that's the work and, and the pace of work has picked up so much. So that's what I find. Why I find is that's why we need to carve out this time to have someone to think through, talk through, to hold you accountable. Now, the funny thing is, is, is I often don't need to hold these leaders accountable. They're, they're accountable as it is, right? They're already high performers. They're producing results in their sleep. They don't need me to hold them accountable. But the space that we create and, and have um, offers a place of shifting perspective and insight because even a one degree shift in insight and perspective, Karen, can drastically change how you see a problem or how you see a potential solution. So the conversations that, that I often have with leaders and teams offers that is a safe space for, for us to ideate, come up with new insights and perspective, to have dedicated thinking time so that you can now go out and operationalize whatever it is that we discussed and tackle problems one, two, and three. Do you think what we value in leaders is changing? Do you notice a difference? I mean, I think... You know, a leader of 20 years ago is probably not the same kind of leader that is today. So do you do you see that? Like, do you think we're experiencing a different kind of leadership or focusing on different elements of leadership with the people think are important now? Yes, I'd, I'd say leadership has evolved and, and expectations of leaders have evolved where much more transparency and authenticity and honesty is required um, where, where the job of a leader is to, to pull now is to pull others up to the same level. Whereas maybe it wasn't so much in, in past years, but there's a stronger emphasis on that. Now, uh, one of the things that that's been sticking out in my mind uh, is, is really kind leadership. And that's something that comes from, from my mom, who unfortunately passed away from cancer last, last year. Uh, while she was still very healthy, I, I had interviewed her and asked her a number of questions. And one of the things I asked was, Mom, what does the world need most right now? One of the things she said was kindness. Mm. She's right. Kind leadership, right? Um, now, that doesn't necessarily mean you let your team get away with anything and, and you don't hold anyone accountable. You can still hold people accountable, but doing so in a kind fashion, being empathetic, often putting on a coach hat and, and walking side by side with that person and co-creating, co-designing whatever that work plan looks like and offering support where needed to, again, have a safe space to think, ideate, unpack, talk through. So I think these days, partnership is is very much required within within leader development is is for leaders to partner with their teams and and staff and their divisions so that you can ultimately move together and accomplish all the all the key KPIs that you're looking to to measure against do you think that you know your work has changed because of the pandemic and some of the um, I don't know, topics or questions people are coming to talk to you about is altered due to the impact of 
the pandemic had had on all of us in society and how we work and how we lead? Yes, yes. Um, what I'm noticing is a lot more work required in the areas of communication, conflict resolution. Ultimately, that boils down to people understanding people quite often, right? So, so the work I do really starts off with that notion is how do we understand our teams better? One of the ways that I, that I tackle that is, is focusing on values-based leadership. So kicking off with values. So when we're able to understand each other's values, heck, when we're able to understand our own values, that helps then us understanding ourselves better, but also understanding each other better, which hopefully then speeds up or increases the collaboration within teams. Values plus strengths. So if values is the inside work and the why, strengths is the outside work and the how. So when we, when we start talking values and strengths, that helps people understand people better. You get to learn when, when you want to lean on this teammate, that teammate, this team member, this team member. You get to know who's good at what, what you're good at, so that you can start performing as a high-performing team. Because one of the characteristics of a high-performing team is knowing what each other are good at and being able to lean on each other when, when you need to. For you to do that, you've got to know what you're good at. So I find values and strengths often tackles a lot of the communication conflict challenges that come up. Those can still be parsed out and, and detailed out further in training and development and, and content curriculum. But really, the values and the strengths helps us understand ourselves better, helps you understand your team better, so that you can then perform as a high-performing team. So let's go back to when you decide to start your own business and tend to do that. Um, you know, that's a very rewarding thing. It's great, but it's also stressful at times, I can imagine. So what's your strategy on handling your own stress? Uh, making sure I get in my, my exercise, my workouts, that is, that is protected time for me, Karen. I need that. And I, and, and again, I've mentioned that I've got a very understanding family and my wife appreciates this and is very understanding. So I need to make sure that I'm, I'm training and working out X number of days a week. That just helps me, right? Making sure I've got time for, for faith, meditation, spirituality. I should be building more time for that, but that's another coping mechanism. That's an anchor for me. Uh, and then also making sure that I've got time for, for a family. So ultimately, this is, this is why we're doing what we're doing, is to, is to create a life for our family. So those those pillars are there. Sometimes I spend more time in some places than, than others. It's always a work in progress. I don't ever claim to have it figured out. Um, but it's always a work in progress. I know what my pillars are, where I need to spend my time to refuel me. It's always a work in progress. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we all? But, you know, as you were answering the question, I was thinking like, you kind of have a pretty good sense of your own work-life balance. And, and is that something that you had to work towards or it was, or has it always been sort of a fundamental part of your values and what you, what you do that you, you do need to have that separation from, from work and you focus on, you know, life. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Faith, family, and exercise have always been pillars for as long as I can remember. Um, it's just now 
that's protected time because I know fundamentally how much that impacts me when it's there and then when it's not. So sometimes even if I don't want to show up for any of those three things, faith, family, or fitness, I got to do it. If I'm tired, do it tired. If I don't want to, do it even though you don't want to. Because ultimately, I need those three in some dose, in some way, shape, or form so that I can, so that I can perform for, for those that I'm serving. Um, so it's just over the years, Karen has just heightened my sense of how aligned I am to those three pillars and how important they are for me. So Parmi, you have to public speak in your role, right? Like you're up there speaking in front of crowds and that scares a lot of people. So what I want to know is, is that something that scared you at the beginning? Did you have to grow into it or, or you've always had that confidence of, I think I can get up here and I think I can say, you know, I can speak. I, I'm pretty good at communicating. Uh, I've been, I've been fairly comfortable speaking in front of crowds for, for quite some time. Um, whether it was with friends or family, I was the only, always, I was mostly the one doing all the announcements, always had something to say. Uh, so I knew in the back of my mind for many years that public speaking was something that I wanted to get into. I just didn't know how or what training was required. I figured I needed some kind of training. Again, no one's going to just give me a microphone and say, okay, here, Parm, say something. So I figured I needed some kind of training. Uh, the funny thing is, it's funny how stuff works out, right? A few years ago, I ended up seeing uh, one of our family friends, we've we've grown up and and I know their kids. Uh, I remember seeing his 16-year-old daughter. She was 16-year-olds uh, at that time. And she pushed out a video on Facebook talking about growth mindset. And she was very well-spoken, very articulate. So I called up my friend. I'm like, hey, I don't I don't remember your your daughter speaking about this kind of stuff or in this way before. What's what's going on? Uh, so he shared more about a program that she was she was in, and uh, that was Maxwell Leadership, and and they offer speaker training. So had some very you know some fantastic conversations with him, and then did some research, and I realized that not only was there speaker training, but there was there was coach training and facilitation training and leadership development. So that's where I made the decision. Okay. This is the the area that I I really want to play in and do something big in. Uh, so decided to invest in that training, and that's helped me. Not to say that I don't have more work to do. We're all in, in a, an evolving. It's always an evolving process, but that really helped give me some additional confidence that okay, I've got some training. I've I know how I know where to go to get better. Now I've just got to put in the reps and refine, reflect, correct, and take those baby steps to, to start getting better. But it all started with, with that, that video from, from our family friend. So you never know where with our inspiration or that light switch is gonna turn on. Uh, and I'm, I'm very fortunate that I clicked on Facebook at the right time to see the right video and, and have those fantastic conversations with that family friend because it opened up the door to something brand new that I hadn't ever thought of before other than the public speaking, but it gave me a, a platform to, to start getting better and start practicing. So how do you balance the different elements of your, of your company? Uh, very good question. I, I think it's, it's really work life regulation. It's funny. I was, I was doing a private training with, 
with some folks who have been in some of my different programs and we were talking about work-life balance. And one of those participants had mentioned that what resonates for her is the word regulation. And for her, it's not so much balance, it's regulation. So that's what, and, and I really like that language. So I'm starting to adopt that now. And it's really work-life regulation, Karen, is knowing when busy seasons of certain areas of life are coming up. And sometimes I might need to shift a little bit more focus on, on business or family or fitness or faith and being okay with directing a little bit more attention and energy to those areas at certain points in time. Because quite often it, it's hard to go go full throttle on everything all the time, right? That ultimately leads to burnout. And what I've realized is I want to work in bursts, not burnout. Mm -hmm. So it might be short bursts where everything's going into, into, into leader development coaching or short bursts of, okay, faith or family or fitness. But just being able to regulate that time and energy and knowing where and when I need to pull and adjust the schedule, that's key. That's key. So where would you like to be in five years? You can answer that for as a person, but also maybe where do you want the business to be in five years? I'd like to, I'd like to continue in the world of leader development, coaching, facilitation, serving more leaders, and continue to be a talking partner, a thinking partner, a trusted advisor to leaders. Uh, hosting leadership conferences and expanding the mastermind groups I facilitate is is on the schedule or a list of things to do. Um, and then getting my Jeep Wrangler that I'm saving up for. <laughs> Starting to explore the world of off-roading in my in my Wrangler. So there's there's a few things on the bucket list that are that are coming up, but really it's to to continue serving teams and leaders in in this capacity and and doing more of that. And, and having greater impact, influence, and leadership in the world and, and those that I'm with. So before I get to the, the sort of last questions we have to ask, I, I've been asking um, a number of our guests this season, you know, do you, how are you managing remote work? Like, was it remote work always part of your world? Um, or do you do a lot in person? Are you, you know, are you kind of splitting between the two? H how do you manage that? Because for some people, it's like, I love remote work. Other people really feed off in person. And then, you know, some of us are in the hybrid world. So we balance both, but like, what's your sort of take on mm -hmm. what you like and any tips you might be able to share with folks? Yeah. Remote work works very well for me um, because it allows me to, to manage my schedule and time a little bit better, but often there is sometimes need to, to be in person, right? For example, I mean, the, the work I do with, with, with Trillium, um, much of that is remote, but sometimes we are required to be on site for certain things, certain events, certain meetings or programs where we're, we're facilitating. Um, when it comes to the work that I do through Conquer Leadership, similar, I can do much of what I do remote and that serves a purpose and a need. But sometimes it's important to, to get into the room with these teams because you, you can't replicate that connection or that energy that exists in a room when you're together physically as as you're trying to do on on Zoom or any other type of platform. So mm -hmm. uh, knowing when when each type of platform serves you and when it's best to to be in person. So uh, again, it's it's always about the the, the regulating and and finding that fine 
fine balance. Um, but I actually don't mind the remote. Uh, I live I live up in Caledon, which is just north of Brampton. So sometimes it's a bit of a distance for me yep. to, to get around places. <laughs> so, and I've done more than enough commuting in my life to get either downtown or to the Young and Egg area, yep. right? TTC, Go Train. I'm okay if I don't have to travel. Uh, but the times I do travel, I, I try to make sure that it's it's needed and it's worthwhile and it's and it's going to earn some kind of a reward that it's, it's going to be beneficial. Yeah, I think it's all about maximizing the in-person experience when you have the opportunity and then forgetting about the commuting because no one wants to commute. It's just not fun to do that. <laughs> Um, as we sort of wrap up our time this afternoon, um, having our conversation, let's go back to your time at McMaster. Do you have a favorite memory from your time at McMaster? Uh, I I think all in all, the, the program was the program in itself in those two years was, was the favorite memory. Right. And I say that because of the people and the professors that I met along the way, some of whom I'm still in conversations with. Um, that MCM program really, in general, from a macro holistic perspective, helped me mature as a professional, uh, helped me speak so much more intelligently about the work we do in public relations and communications, uh, and helped me realize that we're, we're not just people that create press releases, and you call when or during times of an emergency. Uh, we're needed at, at the table. We we need to have a seat at the table because we have an opinion. And that's one of the biggest, actually one of the biggest lessons I learned was from one of our professors, Michael Meath. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. He said it much more eloquently, but it was something to the effect of, we're not just communications professionals, but all around business professionals who happen to be all-stars in communications. To me, that meant I need to have an opinion. I need to have something to say. I need to have something to offer. I don't want to just be sitting there taking up space. doesn't mean I always have to be talking, but I need to have something to bring to the conversation, right? To have an opinion, but then to also let folks know that from the perspective of communications and from what we're seeing from the different stakeholders and audiences this is, that we represent, here are some things here are some things that you want to keep in mind about your project, your initiative, ba 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 ba. Right, so that there's some there's some gravity in us being at the table. So that's probably one of the biggest things. Uh, the other memorable moment was actually graduating on time. And I say that with a little tongue in cheek, but again, I had uh, three family weddings. I ended up breaking my hand in the last semester because of a bad martial arts injury. So I was in a cast. So all of my papers were, I had a claw thing going on because yeah. I had a cast on my, and I'm right-handed. Yeah. So I was typing my, and I was doing talk to, to text as well. And then trying to type with one finger. So everything took, felt like two or three times as long. Right. So with everything that I, I endured and went through for those two years, finishing graduating on time was, was a huge win for me. Um, but that was just because I I wanted to get through it. I wanted to get through it on time. I wanted to start moving on to that next phase. Yeah. So yeah, those are, those are some of the things that stand out. All the things that you have to do just to get that gosh darn piece of paper sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> um, is there a book you're reading you'd like to share with everybody or a book you'd recommend? 
Yeah, yeah. So one of my one of my go to books is actually I have it right here. It's one of the books from John Maxwell. Good leaders ask great questions. I actually go to this quite often. I, I use that in my executive leadership coaching where um, uh, I include something called a learning laboratory with leaders that I work with. And and some of our coaching conversations are based from insights that they get from, from each chapter, along with real-time, real-life challenges and situations that might come up. But I find this really is a fantastic, fantastic read because it's all about cultivating the mindset of asking questions asking questions of your team, of the larger division or the organization, questions of yourself. So really conditioning the mind to, to start asking better questions because the quality of the answers often depends on the quality of the question. So if we can get good at asking good or great questions, that will hopefully elicit good and solid answers that we can then do something from because no leader has all the answers but every leader has the potential to ask great questions which then starts hopefully generating good and great responses and ideas and once those conversations start swirling around then we've got something to work from so yeah good leaders ask great questions is is one of my go-to reads excellent um do you have a personal motto or creed you stand by Conquer, conquer your, your potential. potential. All right. That's a good one. Right. <laughs> and so because why? <laughs> I, yeah. Well, uh, because again, I, I fundamentally believe we're so much more capable and powerful than, than we often give ourselves credit for, or, or than we know. And that potential is, is that gap. The potential is where we want to play in <clears throat> knowing that, okay, you think your limit is here, but most likely it's here. So, that space is is that potential so and and conquer your potential that potential is ever evolving it's ever growing that there isn't ever a finish line so there's always opportunity to conquer or or break into that potential and evolve within that potential and the goalposts move forward so you're constantly in 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 a growth zone you're constantly in your growth zone pushing out of your comfort zone so it's that potential when we get to play in that potential and live and operate in that potential. Fantastic things happen. Excellent. Well, I think that's a good way to end our podcast. And I really, really appreciate Parm, you spending some time with us this afternoon talking about your journey, your unconventional journey from McMaster and all the great things that you've done. And um, I've really enjoyed getting to know you this afternoon. Thank you very much, Karen. I appreciate the opportunity and thank you for a fantastic conversation. Thank you.